Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome our guest, Ben Moss, on the show. And Ben um, has an incredible background in real estate. He's going to talk to us a lot about investing and marketing. We're going to learn a lot from him. And this is a hot topic and something that most people... I think there was a a quote I heard or statistic that like something like 98% of all billionaires made their money in real estate or some absurd, you know, statistic. Um, and I, I just know that for me, some of the greatest returns I've ever had have been in real estate and it's such an exciting, um, vertical and so much learned in such an interesting time right now that Ben's going to share with us. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Ben's company is called the, the Ben Moss group. And then he also works, um, with compass, uh, which he's going to talk to us a little bit about about as well, where he manages clients from the entertainment and sports industries, which is super fun. And so Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Excited to speak with you today. Incredible. So Ben, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your story? What got you? I'm like seeing behind you, you've got sports paraphernalia. Do you have a favorite uh, team and a favorite client and you're going, you can't have favorite clients, right? That's like having a favorite child, but um, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But do you have like a journey that got you here that was unexpected? I'd love to hear and how, how sports and real estate, you know, came together in your life so seamlessly. Yeah. Well, you know, I was actually interning at Merrill Lynch and working at Banco Espíritu Santo in college. And I was kind of going down the financial advisory track. And then I went to one of these real estate investment seminars and I was 17 years old and started knocking on doors. And lo and behold, uh, I was able to secure a house for $90,000 under contract, but of course I didn't have $90,000. So I assigned it uh, at a real estate investment club meeting. Didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so it's pretty funny. I'll try to keep the story short, but I, I showed up at the closing and I assigned it for $7,500. So that's what I was going to get. I knew that, but there was somebody else at the closing table. And I said, well, who's this guy? And I came to find out the person I assigned it to reassigned it to somebody else for $100,000. <laughs> and then the person that ended up buying the property bought it for like two hundred and something thirty thousand dollars, and then renovated it and sold it. So I, you know, one part of me said, Lindsay, well, I'm really happy because I'm making you know fifteen bucks an hour or whatever. Maybe it was thirteen bucks an hour. I forget at the time. So I just made a nice windfall for a seventeen year old. But man, I left a lot of money on the table yeah, at the yeah, same yeah. time. But you know, the, the point is that it really got me excited about real estate, and then that's when my career aspirations shifted, and I ended up going into commercial uh, and uh, well real estate investment banking for a couple of years. Didn't like that. Uh, then I wanted to get into the deal business because I wanted to do deals. That's what I really was missing. And I wasn't doing that, doing pitch books in a back room for 12 hours a day, uh, selling big office properties and resorts and things like that in Puerto Rico. And it wasn't fun, but it was good training. So then I got into office leasing where I, I was on the landlord rep side and was representing landlords and doing the you know 500 square foot cafe at the ground floor and also working on 100,000 square foot law firm deals 
in the penthouse and then um, ended up in getting into residential real estate through my my first wife. And uh, anyway, that's a whole separate story. But uh, but here I am and, and I loved the residential side of it, the deal making, the e- dealing with egos, the personalities, the entrepreneurial spirit, having to do so many things at one time uh, to manage a real estate, a, a high, high-end residential real estate brokerage uh, or broker has a lot of skill sets that they have to really perfect and hone. And yeah. uh, I didn't know that at the time. I know it now through a lot of like, suffering and, and evolution. That's so fun, that story. And actually, it's funny, it's, it's a great segue over into sports. But like when you mentioned that you went from this paradigm shift of like, oh, I left all this money on the table. Somebody else did 100000 where I only did seven. Reds with that like four-minute mile you know, uh, narrative where no, you know, scientists and the general athletic community in the world thought it was impossible to run a four minute mile. And then someone tell someone did it was possible until it was, until it was impossible until it was possible. And a lot of sports yeah. accolades have been that it's just someone pushing a barrier of what their belief is the human potential is as an athlete. Um, in your estimation, do you think that, uh, that you just keep in your career where you are, you keep having these like aha moments like, oh, I didn't think this big. I keep your, your horizons keep getting expanded about what's possible with real estate and business. Are you learning that more and more? There's no yeah. doubt. I mean, I have a personal uh, growth mindset. I'm into personal development. I'm always trying to reframe, you know, the quote unquote bad thing that happened into, okay, you know <laughs> what? I'm not going to go into victimhood and, and apathy or, or anger. What I'm going to do is reframe this pretty quickly into, okay, what can I learn? Where's the opportunity? So acceptance into opportunity. And, you know, once you kind of start adopting that framework uh, as one of your mantras in life, then it's all just a game. Everything changes. I mean, of course, serious things happen, but, and deals blow up that, you know, get you upset. So I'm not saying I, I don't get upset. What I'm saying is that, where's that? It used to put me in a funk for two weeks. Now, you know, I'm out of it in two minutes or at least nice. the next morning, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's, it's, well, we never know what's coming next and we never know where the opportunity is. And, you know, my, my foray into, you know, working probably half my clients are athletes, or entertainers, you know, that wasn't something I was looking at. It just so happened because I went to the university of Miami. I was a real estate guy. I was going to, I was, you know, serious. I was going to school in my suit because I had an internship at Merrill Lynch and consulting companies, like I mentioned. Um, but I was also doing real estate. And so as these players in the early 2000s started getting drafted in the first round, second round, they started coming back asking for assistance and for advice. And I realized, hey, there's an opportunity here. I'm going to go after this because I see a lot of realtors using and abusing these guys, whereas I care about this and I want them to succeed. And and that's how I got into educating the athletes pretty early on. Um, and that's a whole separate story. But you know, rather than trying to be their friends and hang out, uh, and take advantage of them. It was more, well, I'm happy to do your real estate deals and, and help you and let me educate you at the same time. Yeah. So there's just always amazing. opportunities if we're looking and we slow down enough to to see them. But sometimes it's hard in this, especially now, you know, with with we're always just go, go, go and we have so many distractions around us. Gosh, these are some gold nuggets you're saying. This idea of of learning to just more quickly bounce back from disappointment and then have this mindset that it's all happening for us instead of to us and that we, you know, it'll all be used towards our ultimate success. I mean, I, I've learned this principle and yet I'm always surprised at how I forget it so quickly. It, you know, it's like, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, when you go to the gym or you're an athlete and you're feeling the pain and the burn and you're like, this does not feel good, but then it's the very thing that's making you strong and improving your skill and getting you the results you want. This tension yep. is just uh, the the paradox and all that is so powerful. Can you share any stories that 
come to mind that are specific about where you learned that, where you're like, this seems an epic failure or this thing was so painful. It sounds like you, you've had divorce. So, I mean, for some people, that's one of the most painful things a person to walk through, like worse than death in many ways for people. You know, maybe you've had some really painful things, but can you share context or give us any insights what you learned through anything like that? It'd be so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in my, you know, my mid twenties, here I am venturing into this, you know, residential real estate world, uh, leading a really good position in commercial real estate at the time. My parents thought I was crazy. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was making more money at that 26 years old than my dad had ever made, uh, as a lawyer in academia. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're crazy. You know, I didn't understand that, that mindset, but I said, I can't do this forever. And I see a huge opportunity here and this is a lot more fun. And so I've always chased um, not chase is the right word necessarily, but I've always gravitated towards growth. And sometimes growth is painful to your point, Lindsay. And so, you know, I, I quickly learned around the great financial crisis time, well, I can't sleep. So I started taking, you know, sleeping pills Then I started t- moving that up to Xanax on nights that I really need to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to just take some Xanax tonight because I really need to be on for tomorrow. And I said, what am I doing? Like I, I'm, I have major anxiety about, and I would even wake up and now I know what that is, but in the middle of the night, just whole body tensing up, having like a panic attack. I didn't think I was stressed out, but I was living at such a high level of stress constantly that, you know, I guess when I was sound asleep, my body was showing me, Hey, dude, you're, you're in, a, in an ordinary, inordinate amount of high stress. Uh, and there were a couple of these, wow, like this is, this is getting serious. I need to figure something out. So I discovered meditation and lo and behold, that started changing my life and I didn't need sleeping pills. I threw them all away. And so it's been a long journey for me into personal development and meditation. I do Qigong every day now. So, that, I mean, I, I've evolved a lot of practices, but it's been over 15 years. Um, yeah, around the age of 30 is when I discovered this, you know, I read a, a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that kind of also blew my mind wide open and, and I saw life in a whole new way. So, and then even since then, I mean, I've had several bouts of burnout in this industry because I didn't know how to scale my business properly. I didn't understand the use of leverage properly or systems. And I thought I had to do it all myself because so many of us that are entrepreneurs, we just think, you know, we, we don't know how to grow and scale a business. We don't learn that in college, but we just, we know how to hustle. And a lot of that is taking the, the sports analogy of like the discipline, the early mornings, you know, all that energy, but and that's great. But sometimes you don't, you don't know what you don't know until you start seeking out advice or mentors or, or learning the hard way, unfortunately for me, but that's the way my life evolved. My story evolved is I didn't find the mentors. I had to learn it the hard way. And so I did, it took a lot longer, uh, in some ways, but that's my, my story. And, and I, I've, you know, when you, when you hit that burnout, it's like, you don't want to go back to that. You need to change something drastically. So sometimes when you hit those low points, that's when you realize, like I did for the stress and the lack of sleep, then in business, a couple of times I had major burnout and said, I'm going to leave this business. This, I can't, I, I do not want to do real estate anymore. And I say that now in the position of, you know, spending four to five months away every year in the mountains, in a place that I love, I'm still working, but I have my team executing real estate for me, you know, in South Florida. Um, and so it's just become so enjoyable because I've been able to focus now more on, you know, the 10% of the things that really, that I enjoy the most. And that also I add the most value as far as in my team, you know, we've got a team of, of people and, you know, I'm the person that needs to go out and, and bring in the business. Other people on the, on the sports analogy side are rebounders or doing the assists or really defensive stoppers or, you know, the sixth man or whatever. But, you know, I know my role and, and understanding that and leaning into it. And it's hard sometimes to unwind all the things that we do, you know, as entrepreneurs to grow our, you know, we think we're growing, but then we realize we're not growing. We're just stagnating. 
and, and so it's painful. It's it uh, involves you know dissecting our egos and and uh, looking ourselves firmly in the mirror and realizing our deficiencies and asking for help also. Oh, that's so good, Ben. I love what you're talking about. You again, so many things you're highlighting that I just are so yummy to hear. Like for one, uh, I wanted to mention qigong. I just recently did it for the first time here in Hawaii with a friend. And another friend and I in Hawaii saw a man on the beach doing Qigong, but we didn't know what it was. And we went up to him like, what are you doing? And I don't know if there was a language barrier. He was an older gentleman. And he goes, it's kind of like some kind of yoga and karate. It's like how he said it. And we like thought that was so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I basically, the idea of, of taking energy and then, you know, the realities of energy and molding it and flowing it and you utilizing things with your opponent and your body and your space being incredibly present, um, such a powerful thing. I love Eckhart Tolle's uh, philosophies and meditation has been life-saving for me too. It's just so something I'm, I'm constantly trying to get better at because I have a hard time quieting the mind. But that's one of the beautiful things is breath work was like an active meditation hack for me, like um, holotropic breath work, because yes. I could actually get my mind to be quiet through this deep focus. Um just so much more demonstrative to do it that way for me. Um, but I love that. So uh, how cool that you learned how to build these systems. How did you finally do that? Where, like when you're like, I didn't know how, you just realized the pain point was like, I, I'm going to burn out. This isn't sustainable unless I do. What was the path? Because I think a lot of people, I can relate to that. Like I'm the kind of person that struggles at building systems or whatever. And as an operator, because um, I am usually the person at the top of the funnel in the sales position, visionary person, you know, in my, my roles. So bringing in the funding, bringing the opportunity, how did you find someone who could do that for you? Did you just kind of strength fighter triple down on what you're good at and then find the right partner? Or did you actually like, go, okay, stop everything. I need to learn this skill. What was your path there? Any advice you have? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I, I just remember this distinctly, I, I just said, I just, I'm not going to work on the weekends anymore. I'm just, I need a break. So I'm going to work Monday through Friday, but I'm just not going to drive myself to the bone on the weekends. And what was interesting is once I let go and eased up and relaxed into what I was doing, which is, you know, real estate brokerage, the deals started coming. So it was almost like an energy flow that I was restricting because I was so wound up and trying to force the action and try to control everything. And so I think a lot of us that are type A's that are, you know, we want to be in business for ourselves and we want to control everything, but, you know, letting go and realizing, you know, it's almost like, um, Michael, uh, is it Michael Singer, the surrender experiment, untethered soul and the surrender experiment. So, you know, reading some of these books, uh, less about business, I would say, and more on the personal growth and mindset side that really helped open me up to, to that. And then seeking out a coach, a real estate coach as well. I actually went through a coaching program called IPEC to learn skills, um, which helped me, you know, in, in, at home, home life, you know, business life and everything, the way I see the world. So I started adding skills in, in ways like that, educating myself. Um, and then there's nuggets around along the way, like Robert Refkin, our CEO, one of the things that really resonates, the, one of the, the, the mantras that he proclaims is focus on your strengths. And so I really thought about that and I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to write a list of all the things that I do. And I wrote like a hundred something plus things that I do on a, on a pretty regular basis, week, daily and weekly basis. And then I really focused on, okay, what are the, what are the top things that I have to do? Um, like that I have to do that, you know, I, I don't want somebody else to be doing the things that I had the most value in doing. And so then I started really say, okay, my goal is to get here so that I can eliminate, start eliminating all these other things. And so then I realized I need to hire an assistant and it was painful because I'm, you know, I guess I'm cheap. I have a, 
in that way. Uh, like I just didn't want to, I didn't understand investing in a person. I thought that was a cost. And I realized, no, this is not a cost. This is actually an investment and I will have a return on this investment. But I didn't get that right away. When I finally did, I hired my first assistant and that's when everything started really changing. I was able to start moving these things off my plate and by being more focused and more attentive to where my strengths are, I was able to bring in more business, more than pay for the assistant. Now I have three assistants. So, you know, it's just, uh, and I have a team as well. So I have a lot of help. Um, but I've also been at the point of doing everything myself and you don't want to stay there too long. So it's good to do everything yourself. I think sometimes to really learn the business, but then you have to start finding a plan and focusing on what your strengths are. So that, you know, Robert's mantra really, really resonated with me along with a few others, but that's just an example. That's amazing. That's someone I've also read. The surrender experiment was transformative for me. And um, I actually had a chance yeah. to speak with him on my birthday a few years ago, actually speak with Michael Singer. Wow. How and cool. It was very cool. And I, I was so grateful because I just like sent this cold call email to connect with him. And he's like, yeah, I get endless requests. You can imagine, but I just felt I should take your call. It was like one of those really cool universe moments. I had a beautiful exchange with him. He talks about, I was facing some really difficult things and scary things and hard things in my professional life that, um, that seemed like big threats, you know, to my career and my reputation and things. And they ended up not being at all, but I just had tons of anxiety and I didn't know which way it would go. But ultimately he just said, what an incredible opportunity. He just like framed it, reframed it. Cause as you, as you, those who, as you know, and anybody who's maybe read his book, this, the surrender experiment, he was facing jail time for things that he was not guilty of. And so there, there was really analogous to some of what I was dealing with. Not that I was facing jail time, but just that, you know, un, undeserved, un, unjust potential outcomes around something. And he just was saying, you know, very few people get opportunities to be in extreme situations of pain that are undeserved. And what that can, the fruit that that can bring was, I'm paraphrasing it, but that was essentially like his framework was just like, look at the gifts in this, you know, and yeah, um, that yeah. energy and being positive, like you said. Um, so I love, I love that you said I started to just set these boundaries, rest. I started, you know, hiring different people. However, this is a really sincere question because we hear this a lot. This is a theme in entrepreneurship. It's like balance and take your own oxygen mask and all of these things. But do you think that you had to first hustle and build all that credibility and be the person that's taking all the calls and working all the overtime and doing the weekends and the shifts and things? You know what I mean? The grunt work, if you will, that then earns you the position to be able to do that. Because if you hadn't done all that other, could you, like, in other words, can a 20 year old kid out of college have all of the, you know, systems and stuff in place and do it earlier? Can they do it quicker? I mean, where's the, I guess, the tension in that, you know, and, and, and love your thoughts about that. Yeah, it's a really good question because I don't think so. I don't think there's any substitute for hard work. And in my industry, you know, I come across people, you know, there's a guy that wanted to join my team recently and, you know, He's been in the business for six or seven years and there's no production, but he's, you know, all put together, very eloquent, all these things. But some, the only thing I can think of is behind closed doors, when, when it counts, he's not making the phone calls. He's not prospecting. He's not doing what he should be doing because there's no reason why somebody who presents in this way is not successful after six or seven years in the business. And so, um, anyway, that's just one example, but yeah, I do, I do think there's, there's no substitute for hard work and, and we have to put that time in, but Yet in my case, I just kept grinding. I didn't pull my head up and scale. And I've seen people that started after me that have built huge businesses and diversified into different things in, in real estate. Um, and you know they spent maybe two years grinding and then they started hiring. I spent 
many more years grinding and then I started hiring. So that's why I say I was kind of slow and late to the game in some ways. I wouldn't change it because it is, it is my journey and my history, but, um, but I would advise somebody who's starting now to yeah, put in the work. Don't be scared of, of the work. I think the main thing is to maintain your energy along the way um, and know that it's temporary. This is not going to be forever. But yeah, I, I do think certainly in real estate brokerage or a lot of other uh, entrepreneurial ventures starting a business of any kind. I mean, I, I don't know how you start that. You know, I love Tim Ferriss, but I don't think there's a four-hour work week for somebody who's starting a business. So, so yeah, I, I think I think that's super helpful. It's it's that um, it's that tension, and it's like how much is enough, and that put on the gas, and then let off the gas, and then put on the brakes, and then put on the gas, and just that that figuring out that rhythm. And it might be different for everybody because there is opportunity. Luck is a part of the journey of success. Like and anyone who doesn't say it, I think, wow, like that's incredibly self-unaware because there's a lot of opportunity that comes. There's grace. Like even the breath in our lungs is grace. You know what I mean? So there's grace behind it and unearned opportunity as well as there is earned opportunity and hustle. And I think like Oprah Winfrey said, luck is when preparedness and opportunity meet, you know, at the same time. And um, so lots of, I remember Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, he did some research around lucky being lucky. And they saw that companies that, you know, perceived themselves as lucky had, you know, actually, because they believed the opportunities would come for them were more prepared, like they did more to actually be prepared. So they worked harder. They didn't just think it just like, you know, secreted from the universe and dropped in their lap. They actually felt like, these opportunities will come and we have to be completely agile for, for when they come, we can capitalize, you know? Um, and I love That's that. Right. There was, uh, yeah, there was research I saw uh, recently that where they, um, I can't remember, I can't cite the researcher, but they had people, um, you know, who counted themselves, considered themselves lucky. And then those who didn't, and they, they had them basically do some kind of exercise. And those who saw themselves as lucky, saw things, they saw the world different and they completed the exercise much quicker because they actually, like they were told to count pictures in a newspaper and they basically, um, the second page said a big bold font, like there are 43 pictures in this newspaper stop now, you know, and all the people who counted themselves not lucky counted every single picture and went through the whole thing and actually got, sometimes got it wrong, you know, the number, but they took so much longer to get to the answer. Whereas the people that consider themselves lucky, you just saw were more open, their, their aperture, their, with their view, the way they saw. And so it's like one of those things, it's like, are they lucky? And that's why they, um, you know, they, they then saw it, or is it their, their ability to see things and hold things in its totality that actually creates, you know, this feeling of luck, you know, cause there's so many good yeah. positive outcomes yeah. in their way of their view of the world. I'd love your thoughts on any of that. Yeah. I mean, I do believe in the law of attraction to a certain extent. I, th- I think the energy that you put out is reciprocated. If you yes. wake up angry every day and the, la- the glass half full mentality and like why me and poor me and we, you're gonna you're gonna have interactions on the street or in the workplace that justify that kind of outlook and and you're not going to attract the people you know the, the high energy you know people are going to say oh, you know what no thanks I don't need to be around that you know I don't I don't accept your gift of negativity and and all that kind of stuff you know and on the flip side if you wake up every morning you know the first thing I do every morning as an example and this is not this is not the way I am. I think as, as a lot of men, um, you know, I was taught to suppress my emotions. I have no emotions. I mean, I used to say I can count the amount of times that I've cried in my life, you know, like they're not very many, you know, <laughs> like those kind of things. And, um, you know, just grow up being hard and, and the athlete mentality. And I was a jock and, you know, all that kind of stuff, tough. And, 
you know, gotten fights as a kid and all these things, right? But but then realizing, no, hold on a second, like empathy and love, connection, these are all skills. I can learn these things. I don't have to be born. I think we're all born with them, but but sometimes they're so covered up. And I think as men in particular, that we have to really start to unwind that stuff. And, you know, so the, getting back to what I was going to say, Lindsay, so the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning and I've just implanted this into my head is I put my arms up, put my feet on the ground. I wake up at 5 a.m. So it's like, it's dark. My wife is sleeping next to me because I get up before her. Um, many times I just feel like staying in bed, but I put my feet on the ground on the, on the floor to, to kind of ground myself, put my hands up in the air. I took this from Michael Beckwith. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but, uh, and then yeah. I, cause it's like a surrender. It's like, you know, you energetically, if you put your hands up in the air, you, it's like you're surrendering, not in a, in a bad way, but it, but it, surrendering to, to just, Hey, I'm, I'm just a small little peon on this planet in this great, you know, spinning universe. And you know what? So I say to myself, it's an honor and a privilege to live this life. And then I, you know, kind of put my hands at my heart center and I, you know, think about and try to feel and smell, like sense my wife, my kids. And then I'm like, you know what? I, I get to go to the gym and, and, or do Qigong for the next two hours. Like, holy cow, like I'm so lucky. Like, this is amazing. Like I get this personal time. I get to listen to a podcast, an audible book. And I start just pushing into gratitude and opportunity and it, it does frame your entire day. And so then, you know, it's like, but I've woken up many times groggy and you know, angry and, you know, all those things. It's like, you never know how you're going to wake up, but, but you yeah. can implant into your, into your mindset for that day. And, and then especially, you know, through doing some inner work or some exercise, releasing endorphins, all these kind of things, not eating a high sugar meal, but like, you know, food and diet, all these things are all important. Like by seven o'clock, no matter how I woke up feeling at five o'clock, like I'm good. I am, I'm consistently good by seven o'clock and, and not just good, but like excited and, and thankful and you know, all those things. So, um, yeah, I think there's just so much there and, um, anyway, I'll stop there cause I could just ramble about this stuff, but no, it's beautiful. I, I think mindset I love this. attracting what we want in is so important. And, and yeah, of course, like you have to do the work. I think energetically, if you don't do the work, um, you're not going to get those opportunities. Like luck doesn't just happen when you're not putting good energy out into the universe in the form of, you know, interpersonal relationships in the form of work that you're doing doing it for the right reasons. You know, a lot of people get into real estate or sales because I'm going to make a lot of money and you can, but the most, you know, enjoyable part of it is when you're making money and you're treating people well and you're treating yourself yes. well also, and you're not overworking and, you know, I know so many realtors that make, you know, millions of dollars a year and they're, they're kind of miserable. And it's like, what's yeah, the point of that? Right. That's, there's no, there's no point in that. So, you know, anyway, that's, a few thoughts on that topic. <laughs> I love it. You you are so um, you're so inspirational. Just your energy and your presence, and um, you can see that the great um, self actualization efforts you've made are paying off. I mean, your physical fitness. You have a beautiful family. You're having success, but it's the energy. Like you can feel you're just so embodied and present, and it's just such a such an inspiring thing to see even humans thriving like that. Have you had in your, like going back to this, have you had in your personal life, you know, things that have, have just rocked you to your core where you're like, all of these systems I have in place to protect myself from probably failing me, you know, have you had any stories that you can vulnerably share that might help us understand? Because sometimes I think when we see someone as human beings, when we see someone as successful and bright and shiny as you, like you're filled with light, you, you are articulate, you're kind, you're doing things right, you're high capacity and high character. We really can put that on a pedestal. Are there any parts of you that you can share? You're like, okay, I'm human too. And here's 
here's what I've learned when I'm, when, you know, when no one's looking and I cry those one or two times in my life, <laughs> you know, here's what I learned about being human that could be helpful. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think certainly the great financial crisis was, was tough, you know, being in business and just kind of starting in. Uh, but, you know, I set a realistic expectation for myself. I said, my goal at this time is just to break even. I think it was like 2010. I just want to break even because I had, I bought an office condo that I knew I shouldn't have bought. Um, I had an office copy machine lease that was like, you know, 1500 bucks a month, you know, all these things just stacking up. And, um, and I said, you know, my goal is just to break even. And I think I made like $17,000 that year. So, so I, I made, you know, did a little bit better than breaking even, but you know, my friends, my nickname growing up was TNT because I was, I was the guy that would explode and just rage. And so, you know, I came from a, from a, a very low starting point in that sense. When I talk about, I did not have empathy, you know, like it was, it was bad, you know, it was, it was, uh, let's, let's, let's fight it out instead of, you know, hug it out. That was, that was kind of my approach. And so for me, it's, it hasn't been so much since I've been in the professional world after the great financial crisis, when I got into this business, um, you know, I've lived below my means. Um, I haven't been overspending. And I think when you're not, when you're not strapped financially, I think financial stress is the worst kind of stress that, well, health stress and relationship stress too, and things like that. But um, you know, getting divorced, you know, great financial crisis, all those things kind of happened at the same time for me. Um, I also had a situation with a, with a, a lender that I had been paying my, for this office condo, I'd been paying my, my payments on time, the five-year loan ended and we were negotiating and I thought I was negotiating pretty hard. They also had my checking account, which I knew I shouldn't have had my checking account at the same institution where my mortgage was, but I did, I didn't move it. And a negotiation Shoot. email that I said, well, you know, maybe I just won't pay the, the mortgage next month. You know, how do you, how do you guys like that? You know, cause they were trying yeah. to have me collateralize additional property or put that, you know, pay down the principal balance a little bit more before they refinanced me. And I, I didn't like those options. So then they just, uh, and I didn't make any money basically for, for a year and a half. I had finally built up the, the bank account and, uh, and they just went in and took it all and paid down the principal. Oh my God. And I had checks. I hadn't written my check myself a check for a year and a half. And I had check for myself and for my, my ex-wife, my business partner at the time on my desk. And I had to rip up those checks and I had to go with my tail between my legs and explain to her what happened. And this was preventable and I didn't prevent it. And, uh, they took a very, uh, aggressive stance in the negotiation. They, they'd never done something that aggressive with somebody who had never missed a mortgage payment, uh, in the history of the, of the bank. I later found out, but it was, it was different times. And so I had a lot of things that kind of cascaded on me at one time. And wow. that was one point where I said, you know, I'm just going to move to Montana and work on a ranch like this. There's no reason why I need to I, yeah. put myself through this, you know, being the nature yes. lover that I am. Exit, I said, well, that's got to be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was my first bout of burnout. And, uh, you know, but since then, Lindsay, I, but since I had so much, I reached such a low point, um, the sleeping pills, you know, all the things that not being able to sleep, all those things, divorce, all those things happening at one time that I, I couldn't go any lower necessarily. So then I said, I need to find a new way. And so ever since then, I started you know, building up and just, I would say it wasn't like all one major thing. It was just stacking, 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 stack, you know, just keep progressing. Um, and, and then over, and there've been periods of stagnation where I wasn't progressing in, in many ways, I think from a personal growth standpoint, but you know, when we, when we play the long game, you know, you realize, man, there's a lot that we can achieve when we just adopt the right mindset and, you know, implanting certain thoughts in our, in our heads, even just like forcing yourself to smile sometimes when you don't feel like it changes your mood or like to your point, the, the, the breathing exercises. And so there's just so much, 
there's so many things there. And I guess it gets confusing for people because then we think, well, I'm, I'm wasting time doing this stuff or I want, you know, we all want instant gratification and, you know, meditation is hard. It's not easy. I have so many te- people that tell me, well, Ben, like, that's great that you meditate, but like, I can't even sit still for five minutes. I'm like, yes. that's the whole point. It's hard. That's the whole point. Like, yes, my mind races. I bring it back. It goes off. I bring it back. I go, that, that's what I do for the whole meditation. Yes. And yes. so the, the people think they're just going to be in this meditate one or two times or for a month and just have it all figured out. But, you know, you and I know that's not what happens. And, and so, you know, it, it's, but over time you look back and say, wow, there's been a lot of change here as a result. Yes. You know, it was helpful for me because I have a Christian background and somebody framed my cousin who also has a Christian background, but then lived in the Tibetan mountains and became like a monk and like a Buddhist monk and like just got really deep in in the practice of meditation. He said, I like to think of praying as like talking to God, but I like to think of meditation as listening to God. And the quieting of the mind, the power in that is just unbelievable. And I it is very difficult for me. I think it's more difficult for me than most people. You know, I was diagnosed at like 39 with ADD and I'm high functioning ADD. And for a lot of women, it doesn't express as children because, you know, straight A's and I can sit still and I can do the tasks and all the things. But it makes perfect sense because the the psychic pain of being like in a dopamine deficit and constantly having to get, you know, 20 tabs in my proverbial brain open to like and toddling back and forth from the wall. It's been a huge gift and those are skills that can help me, that have helped me in business, helped me be successful in many ways in my life. And there's superpowers in it. But one of the deep deficit painful parts is the inability to just quiet the mind and just be present, you know? And so I've had to work really hard, but I'm super grateful. Um, I just want to say for anybody listening, breath work, man, for me, with somebody at ADD, it was such a hack. It was like, Oh, I like it just leapfrogged like probably what I would have set thought would have taken me years in in meditation practice because it was so um there's different types specifically was holotrophic breath work it's really deep breathing and really and led by like a met uh, a mediator that like leads you or some kind of facilitator um but this you know finding these hacks what work for us because things work for different people different people have different mentalities right. of spiritual expression or self-actualization or what feels good to them. We all have to have that be congruent, what serves us best at that time. And the fun part is we we can say this serves me for now. We can choose something new tomorrow. True. Right? True. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Jerry, I, I love the Grateful Dead. So, you know, Jerry Garcia, um, was it Uncle John's band? He says, when life looks like easy street, there's danger at your door. So like, oh, I just think I figured it all out. And then boom, there you go. Life throws you a curveball. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here to you know, like I never knew Qigong would come into my life in this in this year. Uh, it was March when I started with my with my private coach, but it, it came about from a conversation I had at a big dinner in Austin in February of this year. And you know, what I realized, I'm doing less sit down meditation now than I ever have. Well, since I started meditating, because what I realized is a move. I'm, I'm doing a moving meditation now. Yes, yes. Um, and so it's different, but I feel more relaxed. And and I, since I love I love physical fitness, I love to move. I don't love to sit for long periods of time. So the moving meditation has been awesome. It's a physical practice. So like Tai Chi or Qigong, some of those things might be helpful for people that do have, you know, ADD and, and mm-hmm. have a hard time, particularly because, you know, you're, now you're focused on what's the progression of practice. And so you're yes. thinking about, you know, being present to what you're doing, but you also have to be aware of the body movements that come next and the next movement and the next movement. And there's breath work involved in it and some of those things. Yeah. but. I, I never thought I would give up my sitting meditation practice. And, but to your point, something else came in 
And yeah. now I'm realizing, oh, this is this this came into my life, and I was maybe it was serendipity, I don't know, but it, it came into my life, and I took it. I felt compelled intuitively to to get, you know find this gentleman's coach that he was talking about, and I did, and it's changed my life. And so um, I relieved my back pain that I've had for a long time that I thought I'd never be able to get rid of, and um, so in more ma- more ways than one, it's um, it's maybe stronger in the gym, which is crazy because there's no uh, there's no weights involved, but my squats are, uh, I feel more powerful, better balanced, no pain, and I'm lifting more weight. So it's like, that's, that's weird, you know, like it, it's just, uh, but I think it's so important to be able to adapt and, and change yeah. and flow with what happens. And maybe I'll, maybe I won't do Qigong forever, but as of right now, I think I will, but I'm, I'm trying to be open to well, what comes next because yeah, it's something will. That openness, that curiosity and that openness for whatever is next is so great because love will dictate the next move, you know, and trusting ourselves in that, that exchange is so powerful. Yeah. So yeah. And there's a lot of real estate, like a lot of, oh, sorry. Oh no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, so a lot of, because of AI and, you know, COVID first and then AI, everything is happening. Like we have to keep readapting and readapting at a much faster clip than now than ever before. So before it was maybe like blue collar to blue collar adaptation, like you're a horse and buggy driver and now you, now you're a bus driver, but the bus driver isn't going to have a bus to drive anymore because it'll drive itself. But now we're seeing at the white collar level, a lot of, you know, a lot less, let's say middle managers or, you know, financial analysts or realtors or all these things, you know, we're looking at fee compression across the board. And so I think, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, what I'm thinking of is I'm going to lean more into the humanness that we have. So how can I connect more with people? You know, what you're doing, having a podcast, having these deeper conversations. I love the podcast format. And I thought about doing one for a long time, but I just, uh, I haven't done it, but, but, um, you know, finding ways to connect more with people, you know, personal services, people need more guidance, not less. And so I think that's just yeah. uh, something I wanted to mention because we're all being challenged right now. Um, even if we think yeah. we're, we're not like just wait till next year and, and the challenge will come, you know, or the year after that. You should totally start a podcast. You're, you're so fascinating and obviously have a breadth of experience that would be such a gift. And I, I, to me, the reason why the podcast is, was exciting for us to do is um, I just love collecting people. I just adore people's stories. And it's just a chance to unabashedly interrogate people, ask them all the questions I want to get this opportunity. So thank you for that. Um, and something I thought about when you talked about, you know, um, your, your discipline and your, in your, in your athleticism growing up and also being a jock. And then, of course, um, with Qigong now and meditation and all this. Do you find because you 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 advise a lot of high performing athletes, you work with them, they're your clients, you're you're actually in their lives in a really um, vulnerable way. Like at Capital uh, Financial Network, where we manage people's money, and there's a tremendous amount of trust that goes into handing someone your resources and money and saying, "I trust you with this." Um, we're very honored to be able to to earn that trust and keep that trust with our clients. Um, have you learned in your experience with these athletes? that there's a lot of trepidation because what i understand i've I've heard a lot of stories um that athletes will make a ton of money from their incredible careers but then they lose a lot of it very quickly that not understanding business and investing has been like to the huge detriment of a lot of professional athletes um can you share a little bit about yeah do you need value and skill set you've offered them and how you've helped them and any insights about what it's like for them that might be interesting for listeners yeah so i mentioned early on i started um started doing education for athletes. Uh, you know, I got lucky to be able to 
started doing education for rookies initially for the Miami Dolphins football team. And uh, and then I've gone to several different teams and done things with the NFLPA and the University of Miami student athletes uh, and, and different organizations. Um, so then I wrote a book. I said, you know what? I want to take this to the next level. I only have 45 minutes and we can often just cover one topic. So I just wrote a book called The Real Estate Playbook for Pro Athletes. And I decided to oh, just make cool. it a free book because I just want to give it away. I just, again, energy, doing the right thing, putting good things out into the universe. And uh, I'm just yes. now in the beginning stages of getting that out into the world. So I'm, I'm getting that out to you know, some clients. And, you know, I had one of my athlete clients who's become a buddy. And he said, man, you're, you're next level. Like you, you really care. Like you, you're not just like yeah. a typical realtor. You know, it, I thought that was a nice compliment because there are a lot of realtors that give us bad uh, yeah. you know, bad yeah. reputations and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think t- to your, to your point, Lindsay, like these athletes are making more money now than ever before, including in college. And, and you're, you know, wow. I think there's a couple of girls, yes. fat women basketball players in the university of Miami that are making like several hundred thousand dollars this year from NIL, from name, name image likeness. And so these kids basically are uh, totally unprepared to make this kind of money. And now it's happening even faster and sooner than it did because they don't even have to go pro. They're they're becoming influencers right. in their own right and making a ton yes. of money. Um, and and unfortunately, the university system is failing them in many cases because they don't understand how a mortgage amortizes. They don't understand how to how to work with debt. They don't understand personal finance. Yeah, they don't understand how to build a network. They don't understand any of these things. They're not, yes. I don't know what they're learning in school, but. <laughs> But they're not learning any of those things. And so, you know, I've always felt compelled to, with the athletes, even though they have a lot of people around them, uh, those people are, are a lot of, a lot of times are just yes men or just, you know, making life easier for them and and removing any accountability from their lives. Right. You know, like the fact that the sports agent has these client service advisors, that's great. But because the athlete doesn't have to take any responsibilities, everything's being done for him. Usually it's right. men that I'm dealing with in that sense. Um, they're not even given the chance to learn. And so then right. now they're 27, 28, 30 years old. They've had people doing things for them their whole lives if they haven't stepped up to take accountability. And they, there's, so then they, they think they should know a lot more than they do. So then they are very vulnerable and they don't know what questions to ask. They don't know what they don't know. So they started making, you know, bad investments and, you know, start giving money away. They're not frugal, as you know, because you're in the you're in the, the financial advisory business. Yeah, I've got some unfortunately very sad stories uh, from so many athletes and you know all pro, you know NFL football players, NBA basketball players, major league baseball players. I mean, and they have no money at the end of it, which is crazy to see. Yes, they're just blowing yes. it. So I think there needs to be a systematic change at a very at a much younger age for them. Um, but also, I think for young people in general, because you know, anybody who's graduated from school, I've thought, dealt with many doctors who, who are very smart in their medical profession, but not very smart when it comes to investments or real yes. estate decisions or how to deal with people in a negotiation. You know, they have got the God complex and they think that they know everything. Well, you may know everything when you're in your medical office, but you don't know a lot in the context of the real world dealing with human emotions and that yes. kind of thing. So. It's, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think we should treat the other side in this way. And then having it to like, you know, play psychologist in some ways to them, yeah. which is actually one of the things I like the most about the business that I'm in is just human connection part of real estate. But yeah, so lots of stories, sad stories and, and some good stories too on the athlete side. Oh, I love it. There's so much wisdom in what you just imparted and shared. And so this book that you wrote, name the, 
can you say the name again and then where we can find it? And if you're not an athlete, would it still be a great utility to you to learn about real estate? I mean, for if our listeners, yeah. So to- basically, it's it's um, I, I put it together more as a resource, and like the first part is getting into mindset, like why real estate and uh, how powerful that can be. Doesn't mean you go out and buy a million dollar property as your first property, but you know, start small, and then there's many different rules that I go into from the investment side. So, like the one percent rule or the Burr method or some of those things. But uh, so it's really buying, leasing, selling, and investing. That's kind of how I break it down. So that if somebody wants to sell their house and they want to understand how to hire a realtor, what questions to ask, they they can go right into that chapter and look. If they're on the investment side and they want to learn about, you know, what's a cap rate? How do you how do you calculate a cap rate? You know, there's a whole section about different, you know, formulas and calculations that are, you know, predominant, like a debt coverage ratio, a cap rate, those kind of things. And it, it kind of explains those things to them. So to answer your question, I think it's not just for athletes, but it could be, you know, for anybody who wants to get started and just understand real estate a little bit better. I think it could work for that, but it's called the real estate, uh, the, the uh, real estate playbook for pro athletes. So I, I did define it as a niche uh, market because that's what I'm dealing with. And that's, those are predominantly the young people with money that I'm dealing with. Uh, so that's why I, I kind of targeted for that audience particularly. And, and and can we get access to it? Is it something that we can find online or where, where could a listener find it? Yeah, it's on it? Amazon. It's on Amazon and it's free. So you can download it for free. So yeah, absolutely. If you I just ben type Moss, in the pro, uh, yeah, Ben Moss. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm, now I'm an author, I can say. <laughs> That's amazing. How cool is that? Ben, I'm mindful of the time. I just want to ask maybe one last question. You've got kids. How many kids do you have? Two kids. Two kids. Okay. So when you think about, you know, if today was the last day you could impart wisdom with them, what maybe what are one or two things you would want to share with your kids that you would just be like, gosh, this is a capital T truth, an eternal truth that I want to leave with you, you know? Um, because I find that when people answer questions about the people that depend on them most, that they love the most, you know, um, the most, the most profound things usually come. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that kind of a total existential shift. Yeah. Well, it is, that's a deep question. And, um, I think the way I would answer it would be referring to, well, I'll say one of my favorite quotes first, because it relates to the, you know, what I would impart upon them, but, um, Stop measuring your days by degree of productivity and start experiencing them by degree of presence. And that's an Alan Man. Watts quote. So I'm a big Alan Watts fan. Um, but I think him. the idea is like, yeah. So yeah. it's like, learn how to be present. Like a lot of other things can be figured out from opportunities. I mean, it's just, that, that's a whole rabbit hole, but just learn to be more present. So find, find ways to create stillness in your life. And, um, you know, life kind of slows down. It's almost like you, that you then become started, starting to become like in the matrix a little bit, you start to kind of feel, uh, so you're using your mind, your intuition, your heart, you're using all of these things now, not just the mind, which a lot of times we're just like, go, go, go. We're not even feeling our bodies. We're not feeling the breath. We're not feeling the intuition. And so I would say the, the way to kind of the, the keystone habit to allow those things to flourish uh, which creates success in life, not just in business, but it's all of it would be to find more stillness. And, uh, and to your point earlier, like it might be Qigong for me or meditation for me or exercise, but it might be something else for somebody else. And, and to give ourselves permission to, you know, play the slow game, play the long game and really attune to ourselves a little bit more fully to allow the best expression of ourselves to, to manifest and not just live in 
potential forever that doesn't get expressed or manifested. That is such incredible wisdom and what a beautiful word to end with. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for coming on the show. And you just like, I literally felt like I just took like a total chill pill. I was like, whoa, that would be <laughs> very Ellen Wattsy of you. Um, thank you so much for coming on and for the amazing um, light that you bring in the world. I'm so grateful to know you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Great to connect with you too. Look forward to the next one. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.